there. My name is Michael Brady of Karmic Freedom. And, and I can be reached at karmicfreedom.com, my website, and I can also be reached by email at karmicfreedom at gmail.com. And this is Michael's Mission, podcast episode number 14, titling, titled today, Grieving and Healing, Grieving and Healing. I thought long and hard about this podcast. Um, it's been a while. Uh, I've just gone to um, Baltimore, Maryland, and Pikesville, Maryland, and done the celebration of life for Linda Brady, my deceased partner and soulmate. Um, and that was a wonderful affair, uh, and it will be viewable, uh, the ceremonial part of it, um, a speech I gave, uh, and, and, and some other interesting things, um, available on the website, karmicfreedom.com, anytime soon, so keep going in there to check and find it, and also there's going to be a, a slideshow that uh, my son wasn't able to get done for the actual event, but got done post the event that will also be posted permanently on karmicfreedom.com under Linda's page, page two, or the testimonial for Linda, I believe. Um, but you'll find it in there. So uh, go in and look. Um, it's um, July 5th right now of 2023. Um, it should be up this week sometime um, for sure, both of them. Uh, and and they'll be there permanently, so that uh, people can always um, share in the um, celebration of life experience that was uh, created and experienced there in Baltimore, Maryland, um, by me and a lot of other people who loved Linda. Um, somebody recently um, contacted me who lost someone, also, uh, and I've. I've been aware of four people in the last six months who have lost someone along the way. Um, some of us are in the final third of our life or the autumn of our life or the retirement stage of our life or I don't know what you call it, but more, we're more than halfway through and um, the idea of... Um, Leaving our bodies and passing over is not just an abstract idea anymore. We're experiencing um, what it's like to uh, have a have a long life, have a full life, um, and all lives have to come to an end, don't they? Because all lives have to have a beginning. Uh, thank goodness we have many lifetimes. Um, I would I would hate to think that. Um, it is as I grew, was taught as I was growing up in the, in my Catholic faith that we only live once and we die, we go to heaven or hell forever. Um, I don't really believe that anymore. Although I, that that's not to say that when a, a person leaves their life, if they've lived in that belief, they can't have that experience. I just don't think it'll last forever. I think it'll wear out, and then we'll come back to, oh, we've been here before. I just left. I have to go back again. I got more work to do. What's my next incarnation going to be? That's what I think is really going on. So at any rate, um, I've been thinking about what I've liked to call jokingly in my life, the last man standing race. Um, 
more realistically or more sensorily in the last year of my life, since last July 4th, um, than I ever have in my life. Uh, And it's because I lost Linda's uh, physical presence uh, in January, and she went through curing cervical cancer before uh, she left, and that's not what really took her out. It was a brain bleed that was not directly related to uh, her cancer, which brought her into the hospital in the first place. So I've personally gone through grief and loss recently, starting in January, and the fear of it going all the way back to July 4th of last year, because July 4th of last year was the second day in the hospital or the third day in the hospital. She'd gone in because she believed she had a a UTI, a urinary tract infection that had been kind of repeating itself over the previous year. And finally, they caught an MRI. They did an MRI scan when she complained about it and saw some kind of a mass. And we were sent to the hospital instead of uh, the primary care outpatient thing we had been going to. And they did a full workup and she was diagnosed as stage three of cervical cancer on July 4th. And that was the first night that I left her side uh, and I went home uh, to sleep because uh, I was really exhausted. Um, and I slept alone uh, here in our, ha- our home, our apartment. And I call that the, uh, the, the night that I circled the event horizon of a black hole. Um, I felt like I could just get sucked into it and never come back out. Um, and that began our, um, our cancer project journey, which really started August 1st. We, we, we had to wait in line to get treatment uh, because of how efficient our healthcare system is these days. I was being sarcastic. Um, and when Linda passed, it was unexpected. We, we had, she had fought her way through radiation and chemo treatment for close to five and a half months and cured the cervical cancer. And there was no evidence of the cancer anywhere in her when she died. Um, so you may call it in remission, but it was the extent cancer was cured. They called it curable, their treatment, and she was cured when she got done. And she was left to recover from the cancer itself and the horrible effects that curing cancer with radiation and chemo also produce on a person in their body. But we thought it was going to happen. And then she uh, got a, a, a blood clot in her lower extremities, which is common um, in older age and from various illnesses or maladies that we experience. And um, she then experienced a brain bleed, um, which really comes from her blood being too thin, which is how you're treating clotting. You give blood thinners to people, and it solves, well, helps to solve that problem. It prevents further clotting, and if you're uh, lucky, most of the time the clotting that's in you just goes away. In her case, she went into the hospital because uh, she had a, a, a vein very occluded, uh, and they were, and they felt they needed to um, put in a clot buster, 
which required an IV in her leg, and dissolved the uh, blood clot in her left leg <clears throat> overnight. And um, when they went to remove the blood clot um, residue uh, and remove the um, the catheter they had stuck in, um, that was successful. And when she stood up, she said, oh, I have a blinding headache, and then she collapsed, and that was the beginning of a brain bleed. So her blood was too thin for her her uh, head, and through osmosis, it was leaking out. It, it didn't require an aneurysm or some injury uh, to the arterial blood flow up there. It just, it's too thin, it leaches out. So she had a brain bleed, and uh, that's what really caused the end of her life, and that was a surprise to us. We thought we were just about to get into the clearing, and she having six months or a year of healing and recuperation, which is probably what it would have taken to get most of her health back and her strength when that occurred. So needless to say, it was a shock when it happened, and it happened very quickly within two days after she uh, had the first brain bleed uh, that she left. And I went into grieving. I started grieving, uh, like like all of us will or do when we lose someone very close to us. And I went into a, a month of um, misery, is probably the only way to put that, um, feeling life wasn't fair, feeling I couldn't live without her, um, Doubting everything I've ever believed in in that month. Um, feeling like a victim. Very much like a victim in that month. And struggling not to show that to people or to talk about it that way because it's not my philosophy of life. Me and Linda both have had the philosophy of we're creating our own reality. Shit happens for good reasons. Our life is unfolding more or less as it should whether we know it or not, mostly we don't most of the time until we become self-aware and have great tools like uh, an astrological birth chart and understand karmic astrology and can look at our life with awareness through those lenses, then that changes a lot. Changed for us. We've taught people all, uh, all, the, all our life together about that and help them live into creating their own reality. Um, and creating the life they want, a life that's gratifying or satisfying and meaningful to them and happy along the way, more happy than it was, uh, hopefully more happy than not uh, before we get done <laughs> the ride here. Um, and all of that uh, had to be questioned. Um, if you're a believer in Tarot or aware of, of the Tarot, I'm talking about the major arcana, the upper portion of the deck, um, is the spiritual portion of the deck, and there's a card in there called the Tower card. And it has an image of a person, a woman or a man, I can't remember, or it could be ambiguous, I'm not sure, hanging out of a window in a tower, a solitary window in a tower. And the tower's being struck by lightning, and there's flame coming out of the window that he or she's hanging out of, screaming, and the the tower's in the process of being destroyed, broken down. <clears throat> and the ar- archetype of the card 
says that it is an unexpected event, so it's a traumatic event uh, that we don't see coming, and it destroys the tower, which is our ba- our belief system, our our structure of our life that that we put our life through. Complete destruction of the tower to the ground, which is experienced as a very unpleasant event, to say the least. And then the upside of the tower card, because that sounds like just a downer, doesn't it? Uh, is that because all of the individual components of the tower have been destroyed to the ground, the person is free after that that it happens to rebuild the tower, that is to rebuild their belief system from the ground up and without any reliance on previous pattern. Even though you're using the same material, the same blocks, the same knowledge, the same content, the way that you put it together is free to be constructed foundationally in a completely new way. So even if you built it back the same way, it would be renewed as if it was new. And it's also the room to add some new structure, some new beliefs in, in, into our foundations. Well, that's what I went through in January, uh, almost to the day of month. So from January 24th, when Linda's soul left her body um, for the last time, and um, it was like February 23rd when I came out of my, uh, my fog, my existential um, despair, uh, and reintegrate it into myself, into my being, into my belief structures, into what makes my life have meaning. Um, and since then, I've been going through uh, a very normal grief process that we all go through when someone close to us gives us the appearance of permanently losing them. I say the appearance because our bodies go away, but our souls never get destroyed. I'm absolutely sure of that myself. And our connection to each other on a soul level from heart to heart, not our heart, our physical heart, but our heart center, our heart chakra, our spiritual heart, if you will, um, is permanent and eternal. Once once we've connected on the earth plane once, we always have that ability to connect through our heart center with that other soul, with that other person. And we're doing that over and over again, incarnation after incarnation, with the, the people we place at the top 10% of our list of connections. Because I would say that 90% of the people that you're consciously aware of, that can be... Even, that could even include a store clerk that you only have one transaction with, but you paid attention to them in some particular way. You really looked at them uh, and saw them, you know, like in uh, that uh, movie, you know, I see you uh, kind of thing with awareness. Um, they're not strangers to us. They are, they are people that we've had on other incarnational experiences with. That example of a store clerk would be a person that's not in the top 10% of your list in this lifetime of souls you're in contract or you've decided to work through some stuff with, work toward loving each other in a positive way with as a primary uh, job in this lifetime. But they're on your list and they're not strangers. About ten, My feeling is about 10% of the people we're consciously aware of 
transacting within our life probably are new contacts on a spiritual level. So we have quite a long list of souls that we're working through how to love ourselves and each other with each time we come around. So at any rate, I had this person recently ask me to um, do a session with them. They want to talk about my uh, process or my concept or my understanding of grieving. Uh, and I don't, I don't have like a, a, a lifelong wisdom about this. I'm literally living through grieving um, anew, afresh at this point in my life. Um, and I'm doing it differently than I did in the earlier part of my life. When I first dealt with grieving, my mother died when I was six. And as a child, I had no consciousness, awareness, uh, or observing of myself. I was just lost in the act, so to speak. Um, I didn't grieve very well. I grieved very badly. Uh, I bottled up emotions, and I chopped myself off from my heart center and my feelings. And I did that for years. And it took me... Uh, graduating high school, going to a war zone, coming back out, going to college, and choosing psychology as one of my courses um, out of my own feeling need to um, try to understand what I was about or what life was about because I was very uh, confused and scared at the age of 19 and 20 at that point in my life. And through that, started working through, guess what, getting in touch with my emotions. Um, And now I would say my heart center, the other brain in us, the the thing in our chest that thinks about meaning in life and can tell us what's for certain. Our, Our head tells us what's probable, probability, our logic, but you can never be certain with what comes out of your out of your mind in your head. You can only be certain of things that come out of your heart with your heart, that you evaluate with your heart. I didn't know that then. I, I know that now. I started transitioning more out of my head and into my heart, going through psychology, and psychology helped me connect to my emotions more, and I started connecting with the old pain, the old stored, denied, and repressed emotion of my mom's dying, uh, which is always the painful part, the brokenhearted part, the grief, the sadness. Uh, the hurt, and started to release that emotion by seeing it, feeling it again, understanding it back then, and began to work forward with that process uh, as best I could over my life. I was 50 when, 50-something, when I really understood and felt my heart connection and how it works, uh, which I've talked about before, um, so this time around, uh, it wasn't like I didn't expect whatever showed up, but it doesn't matter what you expect. Uh, the, the, the feeling of loss to the illusion of loss of somebody's body, their presence with you on this plane, is as intensely physically painful as anything can be. And it, if anything's going to lead any of us to despair, that is, I give up, I don't care anymore, I don't want to, I ain't gonna, uh, I won't fill in the endings there, you'll have to fill them in yourself. <laughs> 
this is what does it. Uh, when we lose the people who are closest, most important to us, and we're still here, the last man standing in that race, the last man standing race, um, we end up in this grief process, and it is mightily powerful, and it's meant to be powerful. It's meant to help us, eat, no matter how stubborn we are, no matter how out of touch we are, to get in touch in that moment of our life with our heart and through our heart with our feelings and through our feelings to review, to remember, to go back, to rehash our experiences of love, good, bad, and ugly, with the person who's left us. And having done that, something positive is supposed to happen, which I learned when I was in my 50s, and that is that when we don't resist our pain in our heart, when we open ourselves up to it and allow ourselves to feel as bad as I just tried to describe, and literally surrender to that, which is not an easy thing to do. If, if you're an American, that's not an easy thing. I'm not sure that's easy for anybody to do. But anyway, um, if, if you do that, and then the pain you feel is stays in the present. You do the review. We were meant to review. The pain is meant to get us to pay attention and review the good, the bad, and the ugly of our relationship with the person who's left us so that we can learn how to love less badly the next time around or better the next time around, depending on where you're at with the curve of loving. <laughs> You can't really get the better too much in a consistent way until you're over the top of the hill, so to speak. So there's a long phase of climbing up the hill, and progress is less bad, less bad, less bad, not more good, more good, more good. And it's really not a complete straight line like that, but it has a bias to it like that, cumulatively. So at any rate, um, if we stay open to the feeling, then the pain of this person leaving now doesn't hang around. We don't deny and repress. We don't push it down into our unconscious, into our body somewhere and store the emotion because I am truly come to believe at being a therapist of some sort since I was 20 years old and I started college um, that um, feelings are not meant to be held on to. They're meant to be experienced in the here and now fully and to let go of them uh, because their purpose is to help our heart make the evaluation of the meaning of something happening in our life to us right here, right now. As, as we go down the line, we, on the other hand, can hang on to those feelings. We can chop ourselves off and not allow ourselves to feel. And, and we've been doing that by training and instinct for couple thousand years now probably culturally so it's really on autopilot uh, until we become self-aware unless we become self-aware for most people um, so surrendering is a is is actually a word surrendering to the pain to the despair uh, to the dismantling of ourselves of the self in the pain of grief is a necessary and useful and important thing to do and a natural thing to go through, not an unnatural thing to go through, in my opinion. 
And what happens when you do that? Well, I'm, I'm not speaking from book wisdom here. I'm speaking from my own experience um, a lot uh, and ideas I've accumulated over my life. But um, an idea is just an idea until you live it, isn't it? Uh, and I've lived this before, but I'm in a in the current round of living, grieving, grief and loss and regeneration and transformation, which often those things go together. They, they're supposed to go together unless we interfere with and erupt the natural process, which we do a lot. Anyway, I really allowed myself to go through the pain in January for that month. And, and I knew what I was doing and the better part of me, the observing part of me gave me good advice and I got good advice. I have many people in my life, thank goodness. Thank my soul, thank all of you. Um, I have many people in my life who really were with me in that month, reached out um, and comforted, offered me comfort, offered me ideas, offered me uh, heart connection offered me input, offered me advice. Um, I took all of it hungrily um, because the worst thing you want to do when you're in this first phase of grieving, when you lose someone, is to be alone by yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure that you have, I don't know, five people, ten people in your life who really care about you and that you let them in and you reach out to them both, both ways, um, in that primary phase of, 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 of awful pain that we feel in our hearts and the loss that, that feels that's so over, overwhelming for us all. Because that and the right belief system is what will get you through. You can't do that phase by yourself. If you try to just go in the bathroom and like I might have done, I mean, I have this philosophy all these years, um, and talk to yourself, talk yourself through it, it doesn't work. It's not supposed to work that way. Grieving, I'm convinced at this point in my life, is supposed to be a shared experience that your heart, on my heart, anyone's broken heart, cannot heal. The healing gets interrupted and arrested unless we share our grief with at least one other person. So healing a broken heart occurs in relationship. It does not occur, occur in solitariness. Is that a word? Or isolation, or just by ourselves. You know, we all have this, all of us Americans have this, well, I can do it on my own kind of ethic somewhere inside there. Uh, this is not something you can do on your own that you're supposed to do on your own. You won't, your heart won't heal enough if you just try to do it on your own. So be in relationship if your heart is broken and you're in awful pain. Be in relationship with someone, at, very, at least, who is heart connected to you. And if you got more than one person, take all of them along the way who show up because they care about you. Ah, see, there's still, there's still some, some grief in there coming up. 
but it's much less and more, much more handleable and it'll just keep getting half living dun, 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 down the line until at some point it's the memory of the emotional pain or the loss which is different than the feeling of the pain and the loss. I don't think that's going to happen this week, this month. It may happen in this next year, 12 months of my life. May may happen in the next 24 months of my life. I'm just trying to be realistic here with myself before it really gets to that. But I don't think it's going to take five years. I don't think it's going to take 10 years. I don't think it's going to take the rest of my life. Because I've had primary loss at this point point in my life that that started very early. My mom died when I was six, so I can tell you that there clearly is a point, even when I didn't really know what I was doing and, and I was resisting the healing, it still worked toward that end, and I don't feel the pain anymore. I only have the memory of the pain, the memory of the loss as a child. It doesn't really hurt in my body anymore, so I think that's that's achievable in grieving and in healing from uh, loss, from a broken heart, because uh, it seems to be true for me, has been true for me. I expect this will uh, uh, work the same with my soulmate being gone from my physical presence now. And I don't think it'll take near as long as to deal with my mom because I really kind of know what it's about and I'm not resisting myself along the way. Uh, I'm... That's not to say I'm resistance-free, but I don't spend a lot of time lost in it. When it shows up, I acknowledge it, I embrace it, I experience it for a bit, and then I'm, I choose to move on. So I'm not hanging on to it, uh, which was probably evidenced by that first month. My, my, my worst grieving took a month. I know people that have taken years in primary grieving after they lost someone like a a soulmate, a spouse, or a parent that is very important to you, or a child who is very important to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. I'm uh, sharing with you all out there who are experiencing grief, recently have experienced grief, lost someone, are in the last man standing race, even if you haven't lost somebody recently, but you know it's coming uh, has to be coming. Um, my my experience of it now in my life and my understanding about it uh, as I go forward, in the hopes that it makes it a little easier, you know, for you all. So, don't resist the pain when the pain shows up, and it feels literally like somebody is stabbing you in the chest with a dagger or a sword. Physically, feels like that kind of pain. Is that kind of pain? Don't clench, don't withdraw, don't pull back. Let go, open up, surrender. Accept the piercing pain that comes through your heart and hold on to the thought that this is not going to really kill me because it doesn't, it won't. God didn't design bad hearts. Uh, If the amount of emotional pain we can feel in our heart was designed to physically kill us intentionally, um, it would be happening much more frequently. We'd all be dying in the green in the funeral parlor. We're not. Uh, God didn't make it that way. We can use the pain we trap in us 
and we carry forward indefinitely or a long time in our hearts to damage ourselves, uh, we can cause a heart attack eventually with holding on to too much emotion in our bodies and ourselves. Fear, guilt, anger, any of it, all of it, sadness, grief, unresolved grief. Uh, but it's not its not the way we're designed to work. Our heart is designed to deal with particularly sadness, loss. That's the place that the great engineer, whoever you want to ascribe that to, um, set up for this phase of processing and healing and expansion to go on around how we love each other. So surrender to the pain. Let yourself cry whenever, wherever you're at, as long as you need to. Now, if any of you have tagged along with me, you know that I've been crying <laughs> when I'm talking. I'm talking to you all in my podcast and stuff, and there are times where I say, hold on a minute, and I'm collecting myself. Well, it's because I want to keep communicating. If I didn't have a desire to keep communicating, I wouldn't be taking that step out to, uh, to it's not dampen, it's, it's to get my vocal cords back in sync <laughs> um, while I'm feeling the pain and, and to wait for my eyes to stop tearing, you know, enough to be able to see what I'm doing kind of thing and, and carry on. Um, so anyway, let go. Let yourself cry as much and as hard and as often as you want to, as you need to, as comes to you. And then when you're crying, what you're going to feel is, or have happen is, you're going to start thinking about them. You're going to start remembering, aren't you? That's going back in time and pulling up what we had with the other person. And I like to describe that as it can be the good, the bad, and the ugly because love, real love, has a mixture of all of that in it. Uh, I'm very sure at this point in my own growth in this lifetime that all of our emotions, glad, mad, sad, scared, ashamed, slash, guilty. Guilty is a distortion of shame, so it's not natural. So the natural feelings, glad, mad, sad, scared, ashamed, I believe those five primary flavors, I like to call them, those five primary emotions, are aspects of love, like love is a diamond. So glad is a facet in the center and the top of the diamond. And then there's these, this cluster of other facets of the, of the diamond around it that are the other feelings, uh, mad, sad, scared, ashamed. So it's like a five-faceted diamond. And that is what love is, is that diamond. So, you know, being angry with someone is actually an expression of love. Ah. But then, you know, love can, can if you get that far, then you got to entertain the idea that love could be constructive and destructive? Yeah. Well, anger can be constructive and destructive, although we often talk about anger as only being destructive. That's not really true. Lots of positive things come out in our interactions with each other because we end up in anger with each other. Sometimes it's destructive and sometimes it's constructive. 
depends how we do it, depends how we hold it, depends what it means to us. Uh, but inherently, those feelings are aspects of love. Uh, the opposite of loving someone is not hatred, it's apathy, apathy. No feeling, none of those facets. So if you're crying about somebody, guess what? You love them. If you're so angry with them you can't see straight, guess what? You love them. Oh, right, okay. If a person scares you, you love them. All feelings are love. So let yourself have whatever feelings come up and your memories are, are going to come up with, with the grief, with the sadness. And then you're going to start thinking while you're remembering the past. Now you're remembering past. And that's not really the facts of the past. It's a, a sample of your impression of the story of a past experience with someone. It's not really the film at, at eight <laughs> At night, it's not really the film; it's uh, the interpretation of a film, of an actual story. Uh, so, you know, how we remember things can change. The facts change. The meanings change of what our experiences from the past, as we call them up, especially if we do them over and over again, the same ones, based on the mood that we're in at the present time. If you're in up mood, then even bad stories will have a positive bent to them. They'll be entertaining or they'll amuse us or they'll endear something uh, out of the experience to us. So be aware that what what, what you're pulling up is the good, the bad, and the ugly of what you remember, what you've interpreted, what you've instilled the meaning in in terms of that relationship with the person who's passed away that you're missing. And allow yourself to do that. And you're going to find that you start to think as you review like that or you watch what comes up out of your unconscious, out of your higher self maybe, um, you'll find yourself going, yeah, but if only, what if, if I could have just, you'll start doing all these um, statements about wanting to change the past to have changed the present, which is the person dying, so that they'd still be here, or change the way you feel about how you spent your time with them. Um, I don't think you can stop that. I couldn't stop that in the first month. Some of that went on, not as much as could have, because I've been uh, holistic and a person who believes in creating my reality for many years, Um, but nonetheless couldn't stop it from happening. So I let myself have those, what I like to call my crazy thoughts these days. Uh, And then I looked at them in the light and reiterated the truth, rebuilt my tower. My tower is foundationally on what if your life is unfolding more and less, not more or less, more and less as it should, whether we know it or not. And most of the time we don't know it. Unless you become self-aware, you can spend your whole life not knowing it. You're just lost in the act, so to speak. I believe that's really true. I believe we are creating our reality. So I reiterated what I believe is true. I I reiterated my truths from my heart center uh, that Linda dying wasn't 
the wrong thing. It wasn't the bad thing. It was the right thing at the right time. Yeah, but why didn't you know that, Michael? Why didn't she know that? Why didn't you? Well, because, and we've, and we've been teaching this for years too, when we're, we incarnate up to this point in life, we don't remember our past lives. We don't remember coming here before. The reason we do that, we forget, I think, I believe, is because we've been overcoming how badly we love each other. We've been loving each other destructively more than constructively up to this point in our spiritual evolution. This may be the turning point. I hope it is. I believe it is. So therefore, our karma, the contracts we put together, the reason we come back each time has been to create, guess what, a bunch of unpleasant stuff. And I'm trying to be nice about saying this. Unpleasant stuff that we need to work through, change our minds about, uh, and let go of. Unpleasant stuff we're holding on to, beliefs and feelings, and let go of those and change our minds about them and adopt more positive beliefs, ideas, and to uh, clean ourselves out, clean ourselves up emotionally so that we can start experiencing emotions in the positive, natural way that they were designed to be used by us without going into a long rant about that. Well, that's why we forget. Because if we remembered what we were doing here, we'd never break the patterns. We'd never change our minds. That ignorance, that not knowingness that we've had along the way up until now allows us the free space each time around, each incarnation at the critical point to guess what? Make a left instead of a right, to go up instead of down, to do something we haven't ever done before, something new and creative, to have an aha. That's why we forget up until now our past lifetimes. I think that's going to start changing as we go into our adulthood reincarnationally uh, and we start creating contracts and lifetimes with a positive foundation, not a negative foundation to resolve. And I think, I, I think we're at that turning point. But anyway, that's the future right now. Let yourself have the feelings. Let yourself do all the what-ifs and then acknowledge to yourself what you believe. What's your beliefs based in that? Do you believe that you're powerless? Do you believe that, that, that God isn't on our side? Do you believe that the universe is uh, against you? You know, whatever negative beliefs that are wrapped up in those things will emerge if you allow yourself to feel the pain, allow the memories to come up about your drama with that person. And do the review. Embrace the review. Open yourself up to the review. It's not a pleasant review. It's an unpleasant review. But it's really cleaning out the tubes. It's really cleaning out the gunk, allowing it to see the light of day, to hit the air, to dissipate, to leave you and go back to the universal energy, leaving you open and cleaner and freer in your heart center. And you'll feel that. You'll know that if you're doing it well enough, because at some point, as you let go of more and more of the pain and the sadness and the loss, and the pain's less and less, and it it comes back less often, and it stays less 
long and it's less intense, at some point when you get done around of emptying out, you'll feel your heart get bigger. You'll feel your heart literally feel like it expands. And in that moment of expansion, you'll feel the only word that I've ever come up with is joy. It's not a low-level thing. It's a very high-level thing. A joy will fill your heart while you're thinking about the person you lost. And when you taste that, you touch that, that's the beginning of your heart really healing permanently from the illusion of the loss of that person and your connection spiritually to that person opening up and becoming absolutely clear and stronger in you, with you, and with them. So it's kind of like opening up the channel, the phone line between you and them, which you have the rest of the time here with them whenever you choose to make the call, whenever they choose to make the call to you. Uh, your heart and their heart will connect. And you won't feel the pain of loss with each other. You'll feel the presence and the joy and the love of each other. When you do that, it's transformative. It's meant to be transformative. That's the kind of process I'm in. Uh, I've gone through the worst of my pain at this point. That first month was the worst. And I'm in the downhill slope of that. So the waves come in less often. They're less intense. They're less less long, and bit by bit, more by, more and more, I'm just feeling how positively connected I am with Linda in my heart, with my heart, every day I get up. In fact, I've, I've put a couple of pictures of her up, like on the, on the, uh, on the mirror in the bathroom, uh, on the fridge in the kitchen, um, of us being together um, so that I can see her face when I feel the connection anymore or I see her face and then I feel the connection I want to feel connected to her every morning more and more and I do and I do so uh, I went longer than I'm so I have a friend who says I should only go half an hour I'm at 46 minutes Uh, I wanted to talk about grieving today and I did so um, I hope that was helpful or instructive to you if you're experiencing a broken heart now in your life and are recovering and becoming more open-hearted and stronger in your ability to love as you go forward. And I'll probably come back and talk about it more again. So until we talk again, this is Michael Brady of Karmic Freedom, uh, karmicfreedom.com, karmicfreedom and gmail.com. Please feel free to respond to any of my podcasts or this podcast uh, with a text uh, or an email or even a phone call. Uh, I would love to hear from anyone who um, listens to what I have to say and um, has something that they want to say back. I would, I would love to be in conversation with any and all of you. So until we, until we meet again, this is Michael Brady of Karmic Freedom. I hope you have a really good day.